So, good morning and welcome to Indie Live Radio. Uh, we're here today with author um, Ron Cully, who we heard recently on an All Under One Banner talk, talking very engrossingly about his work. And because of that, we've, in, we've invited Ron uh, to come on our daytime show with here with me and Marlene. Hi, Marlene. Hi there. And we are absolutely delighted that Ron Cully accepted our invitation. Hello, Ron. Hello, good morning. Good, good, good day. <laughs> so um, we, we are pre-recording this interview uh, because Ron's a very busy man uh, on Friday. So this is a pre-recorded interview and we're very much looking forward to it. So I'll tell you a little bit about Ron. Ron is a full-time author. He lives in Glasgow with his wife and family. Um, I had to look up one of the words uh, describe your hobbies, Ron. <laughs> I kind of guess what it might be. Uh, convivial temulence. That's it. Basically right. means getting bluttered with your pals. Is that is that? About <laughs> that. But if I put that, that was my who, my who's who entry, and if I put in getting bluttered with my pals, I don't think they would have accepted it. I know. I'm sorry. I'm using the vernacular, but there we go. Hey, and Ron, Ron is a widely read author. His books are read internationally. Uh, I had a wee look at some of the reviews for your books as well as being most of the way through one run um, and they, they've got great, um, they've got really high ratings and really excellent reviews and I'm enjoying the one that I'm reading at the moment. We'll get, go into more details um, shortly. Um, so um, your audience is quite varied because you you have uh, books about Glasgow and Glasgow humour but you also have some quite exciting thrillers and the one we're going to be talking about in particular is a very much political slant and we'd like to hear more about your political ideas later as well. So um, before we get into details about your book Ron, could I ask you, the first question I would ask you is you had a very successful career in um, different um, uh, public service bodies, Govern Initiative being one close to my heart. I worked in Govern for more than a decade. Uh, after a varied and very successful professional career, how did you come to writing? How did that come about? Uh, by by a fluke, Val. I I uh, I was sitting one evening watching a a magazine program on on television. And it was about first lines in books. And they, 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 they were, you know, like it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, a tale of two cities, or it was, it was a bright day, a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13 of 1984 and so forth, and, and, and many others. And I found it very interesting. I thought, I'll write a first line of a book. And I wrote 10 of them. I wrote 10 first lines, uh, just sitting in front of the television, um, and I chose one which was Las Vegas had suggested itself as a gradual golden glow in the night sky when the plane was still some 10 minutes flying time from McCarran Airport. And I, take, I took that sentence and I made it a paragraph. And I took that paragraph and made it a chapter. And a year later, I had a book called The New Guards, which is about gun control in America. And I was really pleased with myself having written uh, something and thought a little more of it. I hadn't even thought about getting it published or whatever. And 
at the same time, I started to write another book, a biography, uh, which I called, as you mentioned earlier, about Glasgow, about growing up in Glasgow, uh, called I Belong to Glasgow. And how I, I was born in 1950, and I, I talked about my granny having the first television in the street where we'd watch Muffin the Mule and Bill and Ben and Robin Hood and how we made bogies with planks and pram wheels <laughs> and a rope to steer it, but we didn't have any brakes, so we ended up in the jaggy nettles most of the time. Um, and how I was, I was, I wasn't great at school. I was expelled from school. Nowadays, I'm, uh, I've got more letters after my name than I've got in my name. But um, then I was uh, a bit of a, I would call myself a lovable rogue, um, and I was invited to to leave school before um, before I should have done. And um, I talked about my, my, my days with, uh, 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 as a paper boy, um, had two paper rounds in the morning, one in the evening, um, and a butcher, I was a butcher's boy at the weekend. And so I was a hard worker, but I wasn't very entrepreneurial. I should have been hiring other people to, to do these uh, paper rounds, but I did it myself. So I, I I started writing about all of all of that stuff uh, at the same time as I was uh, as I was and I was working at this point. So it was only at the evenings and, and weekends. And when I when I completed the books, I was very fortunate in that a publisher um, liked I belong to Glasgow and wanted to publish it. And I asked about the new guards and whether or not uh, that no 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 they were not interested in the new guards. We don't do that kind of book. But I gave it to him anyway in the manuscript and he came back a week later and said, we've changed our minds. We'd like to publish both books. And But he then changed the name of the New Guards and the New, the new Guards was so-called because the American Constitution um, uh, contains within it a, a phrase which says that if the, if the electorate don't um, like the, the, government, the government, um, they have the right to install New Guards and the right to carry uh, weapons in order to do so, um, which is why we've got all these uh, First Amendments and Second Amendments and all the rest of it, um, and why people over there protect them by demanding the right to carry arms, assault rifles, mm -hmm. uh, when they're taking their wains to school. So um, I wrote about that, but the, the publisher changed the name to the Kaibab Resolution, which is, a, I, I loathe the title, and they made me change some of the names and the, 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 of the character. So I wasn't that taken with uh, the publishing world as it was. So future books, I decided I would do it my way. And um, uh, I've gone down with another publisher who gives me a lot more room to uh, to do write what I want. Because I can't imagine with that many publishers uh, queuing up to publish some of the stuff I've done recently when it's about Scottish independence. Well, that is a bit, I take your point about, the, I'm looking at the list of your books because the book that we're looking at, we're going to be asking you, Alba, who shot Willie McCree, um, that you had written, you know, at least seven or eight books before you came to write that one. And the Kaibab Resolution is the first one on the list, but it's quite an, an obscure reference. I, I, most people wouldn't know what that meant. Well, nobody, including me. I, I, <laughs> the denouement of the book takes place in a forest outside Las Vegas called the Kaibab Forest. Ah, right. And so he called it the Kaibab Resolution. And I, I suppose like anyone who's involved in the creative arts, you, you, you know yourself what you want to write. And when somebody else starts impinging on that and telling you, we'll call it something different and we'll change that character's name. And I don't like the way, well, tough, 
you know, I, I, so I, um, I, I no longer have these problems. Um, I'm also looking forward to, a, I've read excerpts from your a Glasgow Belongs to Me and I Belong to Glasgow because I think you really can't beat the Glasgow humour, can you? And certainly the Govan humour, I think. Well, I, I I've met so many witty children as in Govan, quick with the one-liners, you know. I only published this in uh, on electronic media for Kindle, and it's done really well. And it took me six weeks to write it, because um, when I was in public life, I used to do a lot of speaking. I used to I'd be a chief executive of, of an organisation looking after Glasgow's economy, and I was always talking with a microphone to various groups, and I prepared these speeches well. And I also I always like to have. Um, a smile involved. Even when I was talking about economic development, you can usually find something to, to smile about. And they, all I did was take all the jokes that I was using, and increasingly, as a consequence of that, I was asked to do speaking in the big hotels of an evening, you know, the black tie do's and so forth. Yeah. And again, they were meant, they were intended to be humorous. So all I did was collect all of the jokes that I was, that, that I'd been used to telling um over the years and put them in a book and it took six weeks to just c c uh, bring them all together um logically and um and uh, i put it out on just as a throwaway i, I put it out on the uh, kindle and uh so yeah. glasgow belongs to me he's done very well well, that's brilliant. So um, let's, if we move on to talking about uh, the, the book um, that is very intriguing, particularly for supporters of Scottish independence. And it's connect, it, it's an, it's interesting because it's not a work of fiction and it's not a work of complete it's not a completely factual it's a it's a, a sort of conflation a sort of combination of the two isn't it your book is called Alba who shot Willie McCree which is a very intriguing and mysterious as to this day unsolved case and uh, for folk out there a lot of folk will know all about this case about the death of Willie McCree but for those who I don't know about it. Could you say a bit about that before you tell us about the book, Ron? Well, well, well let me say a wee bit about historical fiction um, here because what I try to do is I, I research my books thoroughly. Uh -huh. I, take, I take, probably take more time researching them than I do writing them. And right. um, what you have to do, if you think of uh, movies like Pearl Harbor or Braveheart is, is a good example, you know, the, the, the screenwriters uh, get away with murder uh, just making it all up and I don't do that I, I make sure that the facts are absolutely nailed down and then I tell a story around about that to make it more accessible to a readership because um, there's a lot of people out there who want to be entertained when they're reading they don't want just to read a dry dusty account of a particular issue and if I had written a story about Willie McRae which just contained itself to the facts and so forth it wouldn't have been read by as many people and it wouldn't be as um, as interesting so I, I, I heard about this this chap McRae. It, it was an S SNP activist, a lawyer. He was previously vice chairman of the SNP, um, and he was their legal advisor. He was shot in the head in April 1985. He had recently defeated the government's Atomic Energy Commission single-handedly when they attempted to bury nuclear waste in the Mulhacher Hills above the town of Ayr. He was about to challenge the authority again because they planned to dump 
nuclear waste directly from Dune Ray uh, into the Pentland Firth in the north of Scotland. Now, in the mid 80s, the security services were heavily engaged in, in Northern Ireland and throughout the UK, and they were well versed in the use of, of underhand activities. Um, convictions of Irish citizens in the UK were subsequently overturned due to the falsification of evidence against them. Oh. And then secret edicts from the cabinet office, uh, cabinet office permitted agents of the security services to commit crimes while in pursuit of their mission. Now that's just seen, uh, uh, that's got more airplay recently because I've tried, they're, they're doing it again, yeah. or they're, oh. just, they're yeah. just enhancing it now. Um, and it wasn't overseen by politicians, but by the security services themselves. This, they called it the third direction. And it's now fully understand to have been in play at the time of McRae's death. Indeed, just before McRae was shot, Hilda Morell, a prominent anti-nuclear campaigner, had been murdered in her home some months before McRae, just before she was about to give evidence at a public hearing. The Metropolitan Police Force at that time had just been found to be institutionally corrupt and the incoming commissioner, Sir Robert Mark, had stated, a good police force is one that catches more criminals than it employs. Now, the Thatcher government had approved the infiltration of legal organisations as revealed in a database compiled following investigation by the Guardian newspaper, which listed 124 groups that had been spied on by undercover police officers since 1968, anti-nuclear, anti-fascist, anti-apartheid, feminist, anti-poll tax, animal rights groups, the Aldermaston Women's Peace Camp, CND, the National Union of Students and the National Union of Teachers were all inf infiltrated by spies employed by the security services. They even infiltrated that renowned organization dedicated to general mayhem, anarchy and the overthrow of Western civilization, the young liberals. <laughs> so, so, it's a strange who done it. That's the context, yeah. and, and that's a strange who done it. Some of the facts are known, and many are contested. Mm -hmm. It was known that McCrae was under surveillance by the security forces. His home in Bilvica Road in Glasgow's Queen's Park, his office in Glasgow City Centre, had been broken into several times. As had his holiday home in Dorney near the Kyle of Lochalls, so and each time, other than in one celebrated occasion witnessed by. Constable uh, Morrison, I will mention in a moment. In a moment, nothing was taken, nothing was damaged. He was alleged to have information on drug suppliers bringing drugs into Scotland via sea locks. He was preparing to defeat the Atomic Energy Authority once more. He had previously been alleged to be assisting the financing of the Scottish National Liberation Army and the Dark Harvest Commando, which acquired anthrax anthrax from the Scottish island of Grinward, which it dumped at Blackpool where the ruling Conservative Party conference was being held. McCrae was also alleged to have a file listing paedophiles in the highest reaches of Thatcher's government and the Scottish judiciary. So it's fair to say he was a person of interest to Her Majesty's security services. And certain of these facts were later borne out as Nicholas Fairbairn, Cyril Smith, Leon Britton, Grenfell Jadder and Teddy himself were all accused of abusing children. Perhaps as many as 90 politicians from all major parties, except the SNP, were accused of being involved in a web of paedophiles. They were also alleged to have been involved uh, individuals within the security services. So in my, in my book, Alba, Who Shot Willie McRae? I list countless investigations, each of which were hampered by files being lost while in the control of government. 
a substantial dossier provided by Jeffrey Dickens MP and given to Leon Britton, alleging child molestation by parliamentarians was lost. Most recent, recently, Theresa May, when she was at the Home Office, said it is not in the interest of national security to pursue these allegations. And Tom Watson, who was then the deputy leader of the Labour Party, yeah. stated in Parliament that files had been lost on an industrial scale. I remember that, yeah. So a number of uh, senior Labour and Tory party politicians were linked to newspaper story to the paedophile information exchange, which promoted paedophilia. And Liam Britton, who was then the Home Secretary, he refused to, to ban the organisation because he considered the law on the incitement of sexual activities to be with children to be, and I quote, not so clear. And Sir Peter Heyman, who was the head of MI6, was a member of the Paedophile Information Exchange, but it was decided that it wasn't in the public interest to prosecute them. Oh. I could go on, but you can see that McCrae was an interest of, 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 of someone of interest to the, the, the yeah. UK government. And now, that have been, that information that he had, would, do you think that was the prime reason for his, what well, you it could have been the, the, the fact that he was, uh, they argued that he, he was aware of drugs coming in. They argued that he was involved with, with groups that, that, that were um, uh, paramilitary in their nature. So it could have been any of that. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, um, it was quite clear. Uh, I was proving that he was um, uh, targeted by the, 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 the security services. So he proposed to spend the Easter weekend of that year in his cottage in Dorney, near the Kyle of Lacalche. He'd earlier spoken to his driver and distant relative, Donnie Blair, whom, whom I've, with whom I've spoken, who was subsequently a senior industrialist in the whiskey trade, now he's retired and living in Edinburgh, that he had evidence of paedophilia against members of the Scottish judiciary. Now, McRae's home and office, as I say, had been broken into several times. Nothing appeared to have been stolen. But Constable Donald Morrison would testify that while on duty in Glasgow in West Nile Street, he witnessed a number of break-ins to McRae's premises by security service personnel. But McRae wanted peace and quiet in his Dorney home near the Kyle of a Couch to compose his thoughts on these events, but he never made it. It's a matter of proven fact that he was followed from Glasgow by two cars carrying officers of special branch. Constable Donald Morrison, whom I've come to know and befriend, who knew Willie, testify that his evidence was always discount, discounted. The Crown stated that there was no corroborating evidence that McRae was in West Nile Street in Glasgow before heading for Dorney. But Constable Donald Morrison um, was there and witnessed. He knew uh, Willie McRae. McRae had got into an off-licence and come out with um, a bottle of um, uh, whiskey, Glenmorangie uh, whiskey, or uh, what was the other one he, he drank? Uh, uh, I'll come back to him in a minute. And he, he had two bottles. He put them on top of the car, uh, which was going down. And as you know, West Nell Street is on a slope. So he put them yeah. in the top of the car. And Morrison, the policeman, lifted the bottles from the car so that they didn't slide while McRae entered the vehicle. As he did so, McRae patted his briefcase when he got into the car and winked at Donald Morrison conspiratorially and said to him, I've got them this time. He repeated that message a further twice. I've got them this time. Patted his briefcase and uh, 
Donald Morrison, the police officer, then handed them in the, the whiskey bottles which and, and encouraged them to put them in the well of the car at the footrest right, so they didn't slide off. He then he said, I'm, I'm heading up north. Um, so uh, Donald Morrison, the constable, city centre uh, beat, stopped the traffic and allowed uh, William McRae to do a Utah to, to turn around and head north up West Nile Street. And he also testified at that point that he witnessed two males running to two cars whose drivers then set off after McRae's car as if in chase. He went through a red light at the top of West Nile Street across Sockey Hall Street and following him. McRae um, uh, drove off uh, heading towards Dorney and the next morning his car was found in a remote Highland Glen above Loch Loyne and he was near to death. Sometime later a gun was found some distance from the car. His pocket belongings had been piled neatly in a rock, despite the fact that he was still strapped to the driver's seat and was unconscious. Now, you two are too young to remember the old cars where when you put the, when you put the seat belt on, it didn't move, it held you in your place, and it was one of those. Um, so he was still seated, uh, held in place by his... Ron, when we were young, cars didn't have seat belts. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was McCray was held in place with his seatbelt and his stank of whiskey. The post-mortem found no alcohol in his blood, however. A half-empty bottle of grouse was found inside the car, something he never drank. The bottle was unbroken, despite the fact the car had rolled several times down a steep hill. But he only drank Glenmorangie, or as I, I remember, Eile Mist. The, brief, the briefcase was lost at the scene, and then it was recovered, but the files were missing. He was taken to Inverness and then transferred, still in a coma, to Aberdeen, where he was found to be a, a shot in the head. Medical staff washed the body before the post-mortem, and so they cleared away all traces of the powder burns, because the closer the gun to the head, the narrower the suit deposit, the further away it is, the wider the suit deposit. Yeah. And they cleaned his hands for theatre, and in consequence, no powder burns could be found on his hands, because when you fire a gun, at least an old gun like Willie had, you would get powder burns on, on your hands. The coroner decided on a verdict of suicide before the gun had been recovered, so he couldn't have known which gun had been used. And he also stated that the bullet wound was in the temple. Um, whereas, uh, well, uh, his, body, his body, still alive, was, was found on the Saturday. He was pronounced dead on the Sunday. The post-mortem took place on the Monday, and the verdict of suicide was announced on the Tuesday. Now, was this very efficient or is it rushed? In yeah. Glasgow at that time, it typically took three weeks to conclude matters. In right. Inverness, it took three days and that over a weekend. The nurse, Catherine McGonagall, who treated him and discovered his head wound, travelled to a new seconded position immediately thereafter and was unaware of any controversy. But in, in October 2018, she resurfaced and tested, testified that the bullet hole was in the nape of his neck not the temple. She stated it was smaller than a one-penny piece and was aimed directly at the brainstem. She informed a doctor that an x-ray showed a bullet in the brainstem. However, the subsequent fiscal report stated from the position of the wound in the deceased's temple, it appeared to be self-inflicted. And a photograph exists in which McRae's brother, Dr. Fergus McRae, who examined the body after death, points to the nape of the neck, indicating the wound. Um, in 2017, a Herald investigation reported that um, McRae's gun had gone missing from police files. 
It was also stated for the first time that the police admitted it had not been swept for fingerprints. Further, they admitted that McCray's car and clothes, which may have contained vital evidence, had not been subjected to any forensic analysis. Total stitch-up, really. Total cover-up, really. Well, Constable Morrison, I, I know Donald Morrison now. He's retired. He stays in the islands, in the Western Isles. Um, he, I've interviewed him. I've recorded it. The truth shines from his eyes. Yeah. Um, and he has, on a number of occasions, tried to have his evidence recorded. And the, the reason being that the bottles of Ailey Mist, which McCray had purchased in well, West Nell Street, had disappeared from his belongings following his death. That's what, what Marlene wanted me to ask you. She's, <laughs> well, priorities are clear. But the reason that's important yeah, is that most that would have proved the statement is that one of them would have to have his, his own and the off-sale manager's fingerprints on him yeah. um, as it would taken from the roof of the vehicle. No statement was ever taken from the off-sales manager at the time to corroborate Morrison's account. And so the authorities have assisted that no fatal accident inquiry will take place, which has allowed a small cottage industry to spring up. And, and I say in the book, at the end of the book, as you say, I'm blend, um, um, I present it as a novel, but yeah. it contains all, all of these these features. Absolutely, but absolutely make... fascinating story, Ron. The detail that you're going into is absolutely gripping. It's, it really is the most intriguing story. Well, McCray could only have died in one of four ways, by natural causes, unlikely given that it was a bullet in his brainstem, by accident, Unlikely, given the bullet wound in his brainstem, unlikely to pick up a gun when your car rolled down the road, uh, down the hill, and then uh, accidentally shoot himself in the back of the neck, or by suicide. And again, unlikely, given that I, I interviewed some police officers and they made the point that almost uh, invariably a, a, a suicide will shoot themselves in the temple, in the eye, or in the mouth. Uh -huh. um, you, you don't. You don't do it. Or, or finally, the fourth, the fourth option. Shoot yourself in the back of the neck. Well, it's, it wouldn't be easy. Um, <laughs> on the final, the final way would have been by murder. So a fatal in accident inquiry is therefore inappropriate. It clearly wasn't an accident. Oh. A murder inquiry was necessary, um, which should take account of these new testimonies earlier denied the authorities. But of course. I mean, it's it's puzzling because when I've read all these um, the, the official statements, and they are either um, an absolute work of fiction and it's a conspiracy, um, or all of the information I've just presented here yeah, is, yeah. Uh, is was it was it um, what happened to McCray's body, Ron? Was it was it cremated or was it buried? Well, I thought so for many many years. Uh, I, I thought it was cremated. And then I was told, oh, no. And I, I traveled to um, a cemetery, a, a beautiful cemetery, actually. I spent a lot of time in cemeteries with my two dogs. That's where I get the names of my characters in the novel from people that have been up to 1943 or something. But I, I, um, it's a, at Camelon Cemetery outside Falkirk. Um, oh. I was told it was in there. So I, well, it's a huge cemetery, but I walked around it and I found. Uh, three or four um, gravestones, all of the McRae family. And I looked at the side of one of the McRae gravestones, at the side of it, and it said, Willie McRae, and it gives his date of birth and death. And that uh, is the, nothing about his role, nothing about his death. It merely just, as, as if 
he was one of a member of family, uh, and it's it just seems to me to be an unremarkable uh, a gravestone. You would never know that this was Willie McRae, who in many ways was a Scottish hero, um, and he lies now not unremembered, but uh, in, a, in an unremarkable yeah. Uh, grave. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the reason I was asking, which you were probably clocked anyway, was because if, if this was an episode of, um, oh, I don't know, Silent Witness or something, that you'd you'd um, you'd 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 dig up the uh, you'd dig up the body and prove that the, where the bullet had gone in, wouldn't you? Well, we'll get the testimony, fortunately. Um, but uh, yes, you could no, do. But but I never. No. My wife watches. My wife only watches things where people have been murdered or where people are yeah. arguing. Um, so I, I, I've got my own my own me room. <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. but so um, I, I'm sure that a lot of people will. I know that your book is available in print, but also it's available on um, Kindle. Kindle because I have bought it and I'm working my way through. Not working my way. I'm in. I'm engrossed in it. I'm work. I'm reading it at the moment. Unfortunately, I've got rather a lot on my plate this week and I haven't been able to finish it, which is annoying. So you've talked to us about this amazing book, which is about one of the most mysterious and intriguing cases in the SNP and, and Scottish crime history really and you've talked to us about your other books about I Belong to Glasgow and um, th this links in very much um, with things that are happening at the moment. Could I ask you, um, we'd like to talk to you about your wider views on Scottish independence and I would like to ask you I think I asked you this in the e, on All Under One Banner e meeting that I heard you, but um, do you think then that there is good evidence that the yes, the SNP nowadays and the wider yes movement itself has been infiltrated by what might be called bad actors or agents provocateurs? Do you think that? Well, I, I, the I decided I was going to start writing books about, <coughs> pardon me, about Scottish independence, and McRae was the first of these. <clears throat> I, I then wrote a book called The Last Colony, which is predicated on the notion that as democratic Scotland works to secure its independence, ever more frantic attempts have been made by the British establishment to influence and suborn the, the, the democratic wishes of the Scottish electorate. I mean, Britain's been well used to dealing with upstart nations. I mean, they were the most ex extensive empire in history and for over a century was the world colonial superpower. Um, and the, the, I mean, there's 195 countries in the world today and Britain has invaded or otherwise thrown rocks at all but 22 of them. So the British empire didn't develop following cheese and wine parties and a subsequent measured analysis by nation states of the benefits of the protection of the British crown. Rather, it's got a history of creating colonies by employing cruelty, pillage, theft of natural resources and so forth. And not without reason was the union flag of the United Kingdom referred to as the butcher's apron. And it flies over our country as well. And um, it, it, it just smacks to me of uh, almost inevitable. They wouldn't be doing their job properly if the security services at MI5 were not involved in um, keeping their finger on the pulse, let's put it that way, of what's going on in the Scottish, in the Scottish Parliament. Um, and I mean, one of the things that has been evident uh, on the left, I mean, I, for 40 years, I was a member of the Labour Party before seeing the light. Um, but they, I mentioned earlier that they had uh, they had uh, infiltrated all of these different legal 
uh, political uh, organisations. But they all, well, the, one of the other things they did was they, they, they used to, uh, they infiltrated um, the, 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 the left-centred uh, uh, party, like the Socialist Worker Party. The Socialist Workers Party alone had 24 undercover officers deployed, spies, deployed over a 37-year period. Um, and four of them had deceived women into sexual relationships while using fake identities. One spy met one of his wives during deployment, had a child with her. I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous. Um, but so citizens who were joining entirely legitimate organisations were, could have, been, could, could have been talking to an undercover government agent, not the friendly supporter to whom they believed they were having a blether. Um, so, but what, they, what, they, what often what they do is they, they, they cause splits, they, 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 they join and they, 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 they bring about a situation where um, they take issue with a particular policy and that group then splits into two groups and, and so forth and um, divide and conquer. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but, 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 but uh, with that, but what has changed over the past few years, however, is that all of these groups, with the notable exception of the Labour Party in Scotland, whose membership has been dropping like a stone, all of the groups supporting independence, political groups, have coalesced around the notion of independence and have, if not buried their differences, certainly reprioritised them and have gathered around the flag, as it were. So we see the Yes campaign, the Greens, all under one banner, even hope over fear gathering as one seeking independence. And... When you, when you analyse social media activity, there's a clear amalgamation going on. What worries me a wee bit is the recently that there's been um, a number of organisations saying, well, we're going on to compete again in the list system. And that's very reminiscent of the kind of things that the MI5 would be doing. Now, I don't know enough to know whether or not these, these organisations are spurred on by the security services, but if they're not, they're certainly doing it um, uh, in a way that they would be hugely approve of. Um, so I think that the forces of darkness continue to work their evil ways, um, and they're good at it. They're good at it. Um, so let's, let, let's not be under any misapprehension that... Um, would that uh, form then of somebody coming into an SNP branch or would it take the form of somebody who was already there being approached and having pressure put on them maybe like if they had you know what form would that take I mean there, there would be very for the likes of a rank and file SNP member like I'll quite I'm not I'm happy to be quite open about the fact that I'm an SNP member um, I know I'm on the radio but you know we don't pretend to be like scrupulously unbiased on indie live radio um so um basically um you know a rank and file person how would we be able to find you know how would we be able to be aware of that ron do, well, any it, warning signs do you think or well, well it, it, remember uh, mi5 and uh, which is internal security as opposed to mi6 and the uh, special branch and so forth are good at what they do and so I would not imagine that uh, it would escape the notice that if they, all they need to do is find someone in uh, senior in the SNP who has committed some kind of indiscretion 
and then threaten to bring that to the attention of the Daily Mail. Unless, of course, we could come to a wee understanding about how you just let us know this, that, and the next thing. Um, and so uh, th th these, th these sleepers could be in place for years, mm -hmm. making their way through the, 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 the ranks of the Scottish National Party until they need to trigger them to do something, come out with a policy um, that would split the movement. Um, and uh, right now, we'll look at the sexual uh, orientation uh, issues that are going on just now. That is meat and drink to the asset, to the security services, because it offends as many people as it uh, inspires. So um, th th that is one way of, of doing it. They have got people at a local level doing it, encouraging uh, branches to put forward particular propositions to conference and so forth. There's all sorts of ways of doing it. The, the, there is a, a clear view that um, the Alex Salmond uh, situation um, would be um, at least open to interpretation that that is something that uh, could have been encouraged. Uh, it must delight the security services if they haven't been at the back of that. Um, so so the, the issue is, who knows? But if they're not doing it, they're not doing their job properly. Well, that, that is a fascinating thought. Uh, so let's just, I know that you can't stay with us forever and you've been okay? very generous with your time. So what I would like to ask you as well about, if, um, if we can, is just in general about your views on the political situation at the moment, about now as we seem to be pushing a door that's almost open with the, you know, several polls showing the support for independence at 58%. We have this big Holyrood election coming up in May. The selection for the SNP, the selection contests are in, are in progress as we speak. I think they finish a week on Friday, the 6th of November, and then we'll have, the SNP will have candidates in place and other parties also will be doing the same, the Green Party. Um, and other independent supporting parties. So I just wondered, um, how, what's your view on how things are moving? I know there's a lot of controversy about Plan B, about Section 30. What, 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 what's your take on how things are going at, at present, Ron? Well, I, I know uh, nothing more than anyone down in the pub when the pubs used to be open. Um, I um, I have no insights to uh, what's going on there, but I am buoyed on the one hand by recent polling, which is, I'm sure, largely down to Nicola Sturgeon's performances each lunchtime, and I, I never miss uh, one of them. But the, I, 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 I'm buoyed by the increase in, in support uh, for the SNP and for independence. Troubled by the prospect of of this slipping from our grasp is sociologically what happens politically is that if there is a healthy opposition then there is a healthy opposition but where there is none and in scotland just now there is none the tories and the labor party do not amount to anything uh, at all and so what happens is that the opposition tends to come from within the the the, the party and that's what's happening now. We're getting Salmonites and Sturgeonites. Uh, we're getting a, 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 an emphasis on policies which should be dealt with after after independence. If you want to discuss, you know, sexual orientation or, or, or uh, whatever, do it when we're independent. 
Don't do it now in a way that will turn off people just as we approach the finishing line. Um, so my plea is for unity as we as we approach the denouement of this, because, I mean, the, when you read in the papers about the Tories setting up special units to bombard us with love or bombard us with false information, I think the boat sailed. I, I, I think Scotland has largely made up its mind that there's a bunch of... In, uh, corrupt, um, incompetent rogues south of the border, and we want nothing to do with them. Um, and so let's keep that in play, keep that in mind, and focus on independence. And then, I don't I don't mind, I'm a Democrat. If people want to insist that everybody in Scotland should be blind, that's fine by me. But we argue about that afterwards, not before. I, I think that's very true. I have one slight caveat, and that is people are asking these questions of their possible candidates for selection. And next year, these people will be the folk who will be in the parliament voting on these issues. So their views on um, certain issues are crucial because if we elect somebody who has a certain view on an issue that is very dear to somebody's heart, and then find, say, yeah, that's fine, we've got independence, but, but you know, we have a... I see what you mean, though, because when we get independence, then everything's up for grabs, and we will then re-elect a new parliament, won't we? Yeah, indeed. I, but when, I went through that process uh, last week with my, my, my local branch here, and I listened to what everybody, with eight candidates here, and I listened to what every one of them said, and... Um, to, uh, to make it plain, I I have not yet pushed the button on it, but I will go for the candidate who just said, "Look, independence. I'm blinkered. Independence is what we're doing." So I, I, don't, I don't need to mess about with do I prefer this policy or that policy, unless they are focused on independence. They don't get my vote. Yeah, that that that's say uh, my MSP who sadly is stepping down, Sandra White. I remember uh, there was a whole. A lot of people had written things, and Sandra Sandra's comment was independence, nothing less. That's all she put, and I thought oh, it's just brilliant, you know. Anyway, um, thank you for those views, very strongly put, and I'm sure they reflect what a lot of folk out there are thinking. Ron, thank you for that and being so candid and frank about your views, very strong. Um, so, uh, just to finish off, we'd really like to ask you just what's ahead in the future. What are you currently working on and future publications? I'm uh, I'm currently working on, I've actually finished a book which is uh, uh, going to come out before Christmas called Rebellious Scots to Crush, uh, after the famous uh, fifth verse of God Save the Queen. Um because just as all the polls shows that we're approaching uh, uh, independence separate from English dominion, um, we know that if it were to come to pass, England would lose the tax base, the export base of Scotland as water, oil, gas, renewable energies, as fish stocks, timber, I could go on. It could lose its seat as one of the five permanent members. It would lose its base for nuclear submarines and what's left of, what's left of its international prestige. So... I have written this about um, what in the face of it is a dry and dusty account of um, dark money, because dark money is coming in from Northern Ireland um, and is, is uh, usurping the, the right of the Scots to make their own uh, uh, decisions um, because it's being dark, nobody knows where it comes from. Yep. But we do now because 
um, uh, it was evident that, that it, all, it tends to come from Northern Ireland because in Northern Ireland, you can understand that during the Troubles, Maguire the, the Butchers, yeah. if they wanted to donate to Sinn Féin without their shop becoming the target of fire bombers, they had to do it anonymously. Yeah. And uh, But the Troubles are usually deemed to have ended with the Good Friday Agreement of 1998. But in 2016, some 18 years later, the Democratic Unionist Party, a Conservative Unionist pro-Brexit party, bought four pages of advert advertisements in the Metro newspaper promoting Brexit and the Leave campaign, and it cost £282,000. They didn't disclose its, so its source. Mm -hmm. Self-evidently, I wasn't named Maguire's the Butchers, they donated that sum to the DUP. It came from Saudi Arabia, um, and I could go into a lot more detail just now, but I, I've, written a, I've written a book that... Because if, if dark money comes in and you don't have to be accountable for it, I mean, during the last election, people had to account for the fact that they had a, a burger in McDonald's um, and report that. So it's, it's very tight, but you can get around that completely with dark money. And if you've got dark money, you can do anything you want. You don't just need to take adverts in the, in the metro. You can do exactly what you want. So I've written a book along the lines of uh, The Last Colony, along the lines of... Um, of Alba who shot Willa McRae and um, I've come up with another novel which um, I hope um, will be just as successful um, and would make a great Christmas present for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Rebelli Scots to Crush. Rebelli Scots to, to, to Crush. Um, it's, it's an entertainment but it does attempt to reveal and unpick a, a very dystopian future that will face Scots if the tactics financed by dark money are not challenged and addressed effectively. Um, but, um, I mean, it's, it, it, as has as been the case in recent past, but Britannia waves the rules rather than rules the waves when it comes to, when it comes to, to, to that. That is so true. And can I thank you so much, Ron? We've really, you've been an absolutely fascinating guest to listen to. Uh, your your books are interesting and you talk so knowledgeably about these issues that are really quite an eye-opener for, I'm sure, for a lot of people, including ourselves. And thank you. I'd like, just like, on behalf oh. of our, was that your dog? <laughs> like, do you want to walk? Well, that's perfect timing. Well, thank you very much for having me as a guest, Val, and it was nice to meet you, Marlene, as well. Yeah, yeah, good to have you. Thanks for coming, Ron. Thanks very much, Ron. Bye just now. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Have a nice walk. Will do.